I hope you're doing well today. Thank you for joining us for week four of our pieces, the book of Job series. The big idea is that this series really serves as a snapshot to the book of Job. We hope to provide comfort and encouragement to anyone experiencing a difficult circumstance. The question is, have you ever felt broken? Or have you ever wondered why things turned out the way they did? Job's story is often our story, if we're honest. And yet in the midst of pain and suffering, we can trust in the power of God. And so join us this week for Pieces Week 4. I know that our scripture this week is going to be out of Job chapter 19, which really talks about big things like doubt and depression, but it also talks about our prayer and trust as well. And so like Job, sometimes we experience doubt and depression and even pain. But despite those difficult moments, we still can trust God because he is our redeemer. And we're going to look at that directly in Job chapter 19. But before we do, it was once said by Tim Keller that you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so kind of keep that quote in mind as we read Job chapter 19. We're going to be reading out of the New International Translation. And this is what it says. Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? He's talking to his three friends here. The same three friends that we talked about last week. Ten times you have now reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. And we'll kind of skip through some of these verses because they kind of talk a lot about the same type thing, about his friends really creating all these hypothetical sins of things that he supposedly has done, even though Job was blameless and innocent and he didn't do those things. But we get all the way down later in this to verse 25, and then Job takes a very sharp turn here and says something very different. He says in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And we just kind of think about that for a minute. Think about what Job has went through up until this point. Job has lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost, in some cases, his good health. He's lost his entire wealth. He's lost his estate. He literally is a man with nothing but ashes and sackcloth. And yet he says in verse 25, in the midst of his three friends that are just tormenting him, he even says in the New International uh, Version um, that they're just blowing hot air. But we see here in verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Even after my body has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes and not another how my heart yearns within me. And then we go a little bit towards the end uh, to verse 30, and he says this, If you say, How will we hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him? You should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. And again, we see Job kind of comparing some ideas here against his punishment and against what we're going to refer to uh, as uh, retribution, or really this ancient concept of retribution that we're going to look at. So in our past few weeks, we've really kind of looked at how uh, the book of Job really serves 
to answer a few questions. Uh, the first question it looks to answer is, is God just? Is he fair? Is he loving? Is he powerful? That's kind of that first question that's really brought up in the debate uh, between Job and his friends. The second question that we see is, does God run the universe on a strict principle of justice? Is really that second question that they're answering or asking a lot. And lastly, the third, maybe most difficult one to ask is, how is Job's suffering to be explained? I mean, we see a man who was blameless, he was innocent. Uh, we see this heavenly uh, courtroom kind of scene where God gives Satan uh, leeway to try Job. Um, the Lord even says, hey, I know this guy who's blameless and innocent. Have you considered my servant, Job? And so there's some big assumptions that we have to draw as we move through this book. Um, like Job, we have to ask, is God just? Is he fair? Does God run the universe on the principle of justice or does he not? And also, is suffering in the world explained? I know that um, really I love the book of Job because it really deals with some of life's hardest questions. But let's kind of get back to the debate and dialogue between Job and his three friends. Um, and really, um, the scripture that we read really is Job's interaction with one of the three called Bildad. But we have to remember that the three friends that he's talking to are the total best and brightest minds of Eastern thought and culture. And so we see that uh, the first one here um, that he talks to in several chapters, uh, Eliphaz, actually emphasizes something specifically when he's talking to Job. He's emphasizing God's justice and his purity, or in essence, the holiness of God. And he says, God must be just, and Job, you're getting what you deserve because you must have sinned and you don't know it. Now, that's an interesting thing that we have to draw from his dialogue with Ephipaz. We get later on to Bildad, which is where we're reading now, which is the second one of his friends. And really, Bildad is interesting because he kind of appeals to tradition and orthodox doctrine. Basically, that we look back into history and see how God was, and therefore, that's what we should expect. So if we look back and see that God was all loving and all uh, concerning, um, and that he works in our best interest, then we can serve that. But if God is judgmental, well, then we should follow that suit too. And lastly, his last friend, Zophar, actually is more of a rationalist a little bit. He reasons that Job's punishment was no less than can what to be reasonably expected, that it is what it is, it's just life, which quite honestly doesn't make anybody feel better, does it? And so, and we see three very different responses here. Um, and we haven't quite got to chapter 32 where we introduce our fourth character, um, which is Elihu, but we're not going to necessarily talk about that one this week. That's going to be for next week. But I just want you to imagine for a moment, Job, imagine that you've lost it all and your faith is being radically tested. Would we cry out like Job does in verse 25 that I know my Redeemer lives. I know I will see him. In essence, my soul yearns for my Creator. That's so interesting. Because we see that Job's whole argument in his book, and we see it a little bit here in this week's study, 
is Job is always asserting his innocence, that he hasn't done anything wrong. But the implication we usually draw from the book of Job is that his suffering is not divine justice. So Job comes to two conclusions, and we can jump to these two. The first conclusion is that maybe God doesn't run the world according to justice. And the second is, well, maybe God is unjust and he's the reason for my suffering. Job actually says that later in the book. Then his friends enter the scene, and they keep saying something actually totally opposite. They say, God is just, and that God does run the world according to justice. And because of that, Job, you must have sinned. You must have forgot something. Literally, maybe one of your sons did something and you forgot to repent on his behalf. We see all kinds of things really happen here. And then in verse 32, in next week's message, we'll see something very different. But we have to consider some of these thoughts. Because, quite honestly, in our modern context, we tend to do the same thing. We think, if I'm a really good Christian, I'm working really hard, that God's going to give me something special. That he's only going to give me good things if I put in good things. And that maybe wicked people or people that do badly, well, God will give them something bad. And we really can't draw that conclusion when we read the book of Job. Because Job is wisdom literature, and therefore it's trying to teach us a lesson. Very similarly to how the book of Ecclesiastes would, um, or even the book of Song of Songs. But we actually see here that this book is so unique in the Bible. Because it actually goes on to say, well, just because you're wicked doesn't necessarily mean you'll get bad things. But it also goes on to say that even if you do only righteous things, that you'll get good things. It's, it's really quite interesting. But I want you to hear a testimony um, from someone uh, um, that you might know. And her name is Helen uh, Resevere. And she actually was a missionary uh, back in the 1960s. Uh, she's originally from Ireland, and uh, she was doing some missionary work. And this is her testimony, her words. And she says this. She says, I wasn't praying. I was beyond praying. Someone back home was praying earnestly for me. If I'd prayed any prayer, it would have been, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And suddenly, there was God. I didn't see a vision. I didn't hear a voice. I just knew that with every ounce of my being, that God was actually, really, there. God in all his majesty and power. He was with me. His stretched out arms were extended to me. He surrounded me with his love, and he seemed to whisper to me, Twenty years ago, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary. This is it. Don't you want it? Now, before we go any further in this testimony, it's interesting to note that she was actually in prison for multiple years, where pretty much on the daily, she was beaten and she was raped by some people that she was trying to minister to. And this is what she says a little bit later about, does she want to be a missionary? Her response is, it's fantastic to be a missionary, the privilege of being identified with our Savior. As I was driven down the short corridor to the room that I so typically knew, it was as though he clearly said to me, these are not your sufferings. They're not beating you. These are my sufferings. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. And an enormous relief swept over me. One word became unbelievably clear, and that word was 
privilege. He didn't take away pain or cruelty or any humiliation. No, in fact, they were all still there. But now it was somehow different. It was with him. It was for him. It was in him. He was actually offering me the privilege of sharing in some little way the edge of the fellowship of his suffering. So in the weeks of imprisonment that followed in the subsequent years of continued service, looking back, I have tried to count the cost, but I could only find it swallowed up in privilege. The cost suddenly seems very small and transient in the greatness and permanence of that privilege. So our question to us at the end of all this is can you and will you believe it and enter into the privilege of God? And as we kind of think about that, it's it's so interesting to think about. We don't think about suffering typically as a privilege. We don't think about it as a blessing. Usually most of us think about suffering as how can I get as far away from suffering as I possibly can? It's not it's not it's not comfortable, it doesn't feel good. Uh, in some cases it's costly. We don't like suffering. But in the book of Job, we're invited into suffering. And even in this testimony, we heard that suffering can be a privilege. I don't imagine I'm probably, as I say this, getting a whole lot of like thumbs up likes uh, right now. But um, Paul talks quite a bit about this in the New Testament, about we can be invited to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, as a Salvation Army officer, when we were commissioned, this actually was our sessional verse um, about sharing in Christ's suffering, being counted as one of his, uh, to become like him in his death. And I think about that and what an opportunity that Job had, because the entire book of Job, even though it has so many questions, and some of which it doesn't answer, there's always this invitation to trust God. There's always this invitation that regardless of whatever I see right now, whatever I don't understand, whatever doesn't quite make sense, whatever I can't quite work out, that God is with me and I can trust him. And we see this totally. And we'll see it later in the book whenever Job finally gets fed up with his three friends. He says, I'm done with you guys. Another friend enters the scene and Job finally demands, God, I want you to answer for yourself. And actually in Job verses 38, he does that. God actually takes Job on a virtual tour of the entire universe and shows him different things and talks to him. I mean, he shows a beast called the behemoth and the Leviathan. But really, the question is, that Job's asking this whole time is, why is there suffering in the world? And basically, God's response is this. We live in an amazing world that is not designed to prevent suffering. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, But that's kind of the answer Job gets. And that's really the answer that we also get too. That really the point of Job is that suffering will exist, but God is with us. I mean, God is with us. His name is even Emmanuel, God with us. So as we kind of think about um, wrapping this up um, this evening, I want you to kind of think about a few things. I want you to think about a few questions. The first question is, do you believe that God has been fair in your life? If you answer no to that question, you might be in the same boat as Job. Um, And maybe ask yourself, why do you feel like that? Why do you feel like 
God is maybe out to get you, or that he's not quite fair, or even good, or all-powerful. Um, the next question we have to consider is, do we consider suffering a privilege? That one's a really hard question to answer. And lastly, I think the last question we could ask is, are we okay like Job to be able to be real with God and tell him honestly how we feel? But also, um, are we okay with some questions that are left unanswered? I think that Job does an incredible, beautiful job of this, that it really in a lot of ways creates a lot of questions and not so many answers because we do see that Job is so different than any other book in the Bible. First of all, it doesn't use any Jewish or Israelite characters. It's set in a place called Uz that actually is very, very far away from Israel and Jerusalem. And lastly, there's no real clear historical setting in the book. There isn't any. And the reason for that is it's all intentional because the author wants us to focus on the questions being asked of the book and not so much on the things that we can figure out. It really wants us to figure out or look at questions surrounding Job's suffering. And so I think a good place for us to start is look at maybe what you have going on in your own life. Look at your your suffering, your blessings, and think about how can God use these for his glory? How can he use these to bring about Christ-likeness in us? How can he use these to bring others to a knowledge of knowing him? And so I do know that I hope as you read the book of Job and you walk with us in the study that you're really feeling this heavy tug of an invitation to trust God's wisdom. Because just like life, there's so many questions that we don't know the answer to. There's so many things that we have to wrestle with. And Job really provides us a very clear way how to do that. That maybe it's from a place of humility, talking with God, being honest, um, and only looking for his approval. Not necessarily the approval of the friends around us or the possessions that we have, uh, but in a place of sackcloth and ashes, it's an earnest seeking after his presence. It's a, it's a in the midst of everything bad going on in my life. It's, I know that my Redeemer lives. That incredible truth that he shares with us in verse 25. And so I hope that uh, the study this week has uh, provided you an opportunity to ask some questions um, I hope it also invites you to really check out the book of Job. It's a really cool, incredible book. And also, too, I really hope it, it causes you to, as a Christian, to be okay with questions. It's okay not to know. It's okay to have some divine mystery uh, uh, with God moving through life. Um, and so, if you have any questions, drop them in the comment section uh, on our Facebook page under the post. And again, thank you for joining us for week four of our podcast pieces. Have a great night. Take care.